What's up? Welcome to the Confluence VC podcast. This podcast is meant to give you a personal glimpse into the next era of investors and operators. This week we got on Michael Quigley at Spincar. Spincar is an automated merchandising platform for automated dealers, wholesalers, and OEMs. The company's grown to millions in recurring revenue, and Michael acts as the president while also serving as a managing partner at Startfast. In this talk, we cover investing with an operator mindset, partnerships and commitment in a world of abundance, and what trend in venture is currently most exciting to Michael. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, cool. So Michael, we like to start these talks just by learning a little bit more about you and your background. So quick elevator pitch. Who's Michael Quigley? How'd you get to where you are today? And what are you up to? Yeah, so I am a 32-year-old software entrepreneur and investor. Cut my teeth in B2B SaaS, which is also what I invest in, B2B SaaS and B2B marketplaces. Co-founded a company called Spincar right out of college with a friend of mine. We, you know, obviously started the business at zero. We're approaching 50 million in ARR now. Um, we're in essence a verticalized Shopify for online auto sales. So still growing really fast, having a lot of fun over there. And as kind of a second hat, because I'm not busy enough, I've, uh, I recently teamed up with some of our early investors on a new fund that they're launching. So now I'm, I'm on the other side of the table as well. Um, also investing in great B2B SaaS businesses. I love it. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a second. But before we do that and dive into some deeper questions on that, could you just give us a quick elevator pitch on both Startfast and Spincar? I know you just quickly touched on Spincar, but we'd love to hear just a little bit more detail. Yeah, yeah. So let me start with Startfast then. So we are a seed pre-A fund, again, focused on B2B SaaS and B2B marketplaces where, you know, we're in the business to add the most value. There's three partners, all experienced B2B SaaS entrepreneurs in the fold. And we're geo-focused is kind of our, our differentiator. Despite being based here in, in Manhattan today, a lot of my story in, in scaling spin car took place in upstate New York, which is obviously not like a major venture hub. And we're really focused on investing in these, you know, secondary and tertiary metro areas that, that face kind of unique challenges in, in scaling up B2B SaaS companies. Our experiences equip us pretty uniquely to help entrepreneurs do just this. And now obviously with the world being remote, I, I think it's increasingly kind of, you know, become top of mind for folks that, you know, great B2B SaaS companies, great venture capital backable businesses can be built literally anywhere. And we're definitely a, a bit ahead of the curve in, in terms of 
finding these entrepreneurs in these markets that, that are on top of mind for most investors and then to helping them scale. So that's, that's kind of the elevator pitch for start fast and then on spin car. Yeah. So I guess what does a, a verticalized Shopify for automotive really look like? It comes down to a couple of key components. Um, so world-class merchandising. So we help OEMs, car dealerships, car wholesalers capture inventory photos of their vehicles using a 360 camera, merchandise vehicle features and options with you know clickable hotspots and multimedia content that we automatically overlay in addition to helping them merchandise finance and insurance products. In addition to kind of that merchandising suite, we also have a series of communication tools that, that help guide the consumer through the online sale process. If you look to the broader retail landscape, you obviously have, you know, Amazon as, as behemoth with an automotive. Carvana is, is kind of that, that analog and much in the way that Shopify is, is democratizing the car, the, the Amazon, you know, tech stack and, and allowing mom and pop retailers to compete. We view ourselves as on the same mission within the auto sector, allowing you know, the long tail of 50,000 some odd dealerships that domestically here in the U.S. compete against Carvana and, and Vroom and, and so forth, who coincidentally are also our customers. So the narrative breaks down a little bit, but that, that in essence is what we do. Yeah, that is awesome. How big is Spencar right now, just in terms of employee count? Yeah, so just north of uh, 200 employees, we closed the Series B about three years ago now and have just been growing organically since then. Damn, that is awesome. So that kind of leads us into our next question. I feel like leading a 200 person company is enough for most people to be a full-time gig. It's not for you. I'm interested in how that's helped you, how running Spincar and scaling it up to become the company it is today, how has that helped you become a better investor just through building out your operating skill set? Yeah, I think even beyond skill set, I, I would say it's it's just made me a much more empathetic investor. Being in the trenches every day, albeit you know, at our size and scale, you don't, you know, feel every single bump in the road like you used to at the seed level, the, the type of business that we're investing in. But definitely maybe more, I think, empathetic than you know the, the typical venture investor is. And obviously recency of experience. I mean, we, we just, you know, we've we're in the market, you know, raising capital, acquiring other companies. And that's allowed me to really keep my finger on the pulse. Of, of the buy side market in, in a way that I, I think most venture investors who, you know, might've previously been entrepreneurs, but stepped away, just wouldn't have that same level of connectivity. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like we've heard that same piece of feedback from a handful of other guests. And it's just the rise of these operator led rounds where I think that theme is going to stay consistent where founders want to raise from founders because you guys have a lot of experience and value to bring post check. So I think that's only going to continue. Like I respect the hell out of you for being able to do both. I don't know how you're able to do both. I feel like I'm trying to dabble and do both at a much smaller scale right now. I feel pretty overwhelmed, but I'm sure managing 200 plus people plus investing as a separate gig has got to take a toll. I guess relating to that in a way. So you partnered up with 
old investors for the venture fund? What has that process been like so far? And what have been some of your takeaways from it? Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, net net amazing experience. I mean, they, Chuck and Nasser, who are my, my partners at Startfast, were the second check into SpinCar. So I've known them for eight some odd years now and have been partnered with them in, in the fund for about a year now. So had a seven-year relationship prior to teaming up and you can't uh, put a, a price on the trust that you, you build up over um, that period of time of having someone as an investor in your business and really getting to know them and how they think. And case in point, I mean, my, my co-founder, we, it was funny, we just had his birthday and I was flipping through old photos I and mean, we, we met in the seventh grade. So we've known each other for 20 some odd years now and have, have been partners for nine. And I think you just can't underestimate just like the length of relationship that you, you've had with someone in being able to, to handicap the success of a, of a partnership and have built up a tremendous amount of trust and just know how, you, you know, my partner's minds work and what their strengths are. And that's enabled us to really just hit the ground running in a way that I, I just say would be impossible if, if we didn't have this length of relationship. So you got, they originally invested, did you say it started seven years ago? That's when they invested in SpinCar. Yes. Yeah. Seven years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually reading something recently where it seems like more and more people are just understanding how much abundance or just adopting abundance versus a scarcity mentality. Like that seems to be a pretty popular narrative right now. And the only scarcity in a world of abundance is commitment. So I think like having people that are committed to you, figuring out ways to continue to work with them over that long period is super important because trust can't be bought. I'm sure you have a great working relationship with them. I think everybody realizes just how tough it is to find committed partners now. So kudos to you guys. No, no, we're lucky. And that's, that's an interesting framing. I, I hadn't heard that uh, before, but I like it. Yeah. So you got a couple other questions here. I guess first one is like putting your investor hat on. What trend within venture is most exciting to you right now? Yeah, I would say it's, I mean, shameless plug here, but uh, like the idea of, you know, the rise of the rest, the rise of these secondary venture markets is one that we've obviously been really bought into, you know, since the fund was created years ago, but that trend's accelerated tremendously with the pandemic and, and remote work and people leaving uh, tier one metros and, and talent just getting reallocated across the country. I think this is the the year where you know you increasingly see unicorns get minted in, in places you wouldn't expect. I, I think there's gonna be a lot of cities that see their first unicorns get created in 2022, which is exciting for us. It validates our whole model. What three cities are most exciting to you or you're most bullish on? So I guess as an upstate New Yorker, very bullish on Buffalo. And beyond that, it's, I mean, it's honestly everywhere. I couldn't pick three there. We're just seeing so much activity Every Zoom I'm on is, is with a founder in a, in a different town. It's, it's thrilling and, and just really hardening. Yeah, I totally agree. I, before 
doing what I'm doing now. I, we were talking on this before we hopped on the call, but the first fund I was at was really just focused on finding overlook founders in different markets as well. That was based in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is not necessarily a venture hub by any means. Yeah, we're um, an investor in a company in Charlotte. So love, yeah, okay. love, love Charlotte. Wait, who'd, you, who'd you invest in? Uh, so we are in automation intellect. Okay. I don't think I'm connected with those guys, but I'll research them right after this. But yeah, I mean, when I was still in that role, I feel like we were seeing the same thing. It was before COVID hit. So the theme of it wasn't nearly as popular as it is now. But I mean, we're seeing so many smart people come out of Nashville, Charlotte, Raleigh, Triangle area, Atlanta, like Miami, even though that's really popular right now. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the trend of people leaving these overpopulated cities and just like figuring out that their work-life balance and just overall health can improve anywhere. They could build a business anywhere. That's the benefit of building internet-based businesses. I think it's only going to accelerate and you're going to continue to have pick of the litter in some of these cities that have been overlooked for as long as startup funding has been around, which I think is super exciting. No, it certainly is. We're definitely of like mindset. Yeah. Do you guys do a lot of conferences or like in-person events or is it mostly all in terms of sourcing? Is it mostly all just through Zoom and phone calls? Yeah, most these days, mostly Zoom and phone calls, which is a, a bit of a bummer. Love, love getting out on the road, but yeah, have been pretty focused on virtual uh, yeah. last couple quarters. Yeah, totally. I guess this is going off script, but I guess the flip of last question like what trend in venture is most alarming to you? Like, is there anything that's going on in the overall landscape right now? They're like, oh, like that actually seems like could be a net bad for people involved. Yeah, a lot of people talk about this, but I think crossover funds, increasing in involvement in venture, Last week, we saw a little bit of a pullback in public SaaS multiples. So I think I was very early on given the advice as an entrepreneur, never, which now is advice I would never give anyone, but I mean, never say no to a check. I mean, if, if someone's offering to invest, take the money. I think part of that mentality was, you know, being based outside of a, a tier one venture hub. But, but these days, I, I think we're going to see, unfortunately, probably some folks who who took money from crossover funds and potentially not IPO above their last valuation just because the market is, has gotten so hot and overheated. Everyone is talking about the $50, $100 million like pre-money seed deals that they're seeing. So I, I think that, that scares me. I mean, that, the environment in which you know we raised our seed round way back when it was a very different one. So it, it feels like a little bit of a, a strange world that we're, we're living in right now in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think one thing that isn't talked about enough with these multi-stage funds that are getting more involved at the seed is signaling risk. Like one of the first questions that Series A investors will ask or just look at in their diligence process is, are the previous rounds investors participating in this one? And as these larger funds are just essentially placing small scale bets at the seed, and just doubling down on the ones that they view as the winners, like there's going to be more losers in that batch. And I think it's going to negatively affect those companies when they come to raise their next round. 
just because they're going to have to be straightforward with the other investors. Yeah. Like we're not having participation from our lead because we're one of 20 companies they invest in, in the last quarter, top 5% of the class. So we're not getting the follow-on. I think that's something that entrepreneurs should at least be aware of. No, for sure. For sure. And, and I think LPs and, you know, venture funds as well, or, or angel investors, I, I think it just like very few people, it seems like these days are, are willing to do primary research and, and diligence. And I mean, increasingly I'm, you know, seeing founders just say, we're not really like offering that level of diligence yeah. to our business. We have a lead and we're 2X oversubscribed. Like, are you in, are you out? And yeah. there definitely today is this mentality of like, oh, Andreessen is leading, oh, Bessemer is leading. Okay, let's, let's just do it then. So yeah. it begets obviously dangerous things. Yeah, we, so Confluence, we run a small syndicate just through AngelList. And we've seen that from the syndicate side since we've started, it seems like the two things that matter in order to get allocation and hit your commitments for the syndicate game is number of LPs backing you and just getting into quality deals or perceived quality deals where there's like a tier one VC involved because those are like the co-investor and sector are the only things that show up when you're filtering through these deals and LPs, what we found primarily don't want to do their own diligence. They don't have time to just filter through a bunch of memos. They just want to see who else has participated and essentially default to that person's judgment, which for those types of people, like, sure, I would probably do the same thing, but when other funds are doing it, I don't know. I've kind of mixed feelings on that as well. Like it's, it's just tough to get a lot of conviction. Like you're forced to get conviction and shortening time horizon. So yeah, I don't know. No, I mean, this, this is the job. If you love investing and doing diligence and getting under the hood of an entrepreneur's business and, and helping them tune it up, I think the fast follow that someone who's interested in raising cash for their fund and, and, uh, and spitting off management fees. So it's, it's yeah. a different mentality. Yeah, it's just so much different than how we were trained. That's changed in the last 18 to 24 months. Like before that, I was like, oh, like you have time, diligence company, like really get accurate market sizing estimates, growth projections, like competitive analysis, all the stuff that takes time to put together. And now it's just like, you've got a week to wire funds, do your own diligence at your own speed. If not, you can't participate. So I think that change of mindset is just something that took me a little bit to adjust to. No, for sure. The times they are changing. hundred percent. Well, cool. You want to jump into quick fire? Let's do it. Cool. So we got these at the end. They're just five questions meant to be answered in two sentences or less. First one we've got is what is a recommendation you hear regularly that you think is bad advice? Recommendation that I hear regularly, bad advice. I would say I, we touched on this already, but I never say no to capital. I, I think these days it's healthy saying no. Yeah. Be picky who you raise from. A lot of capital out there. Abundance mentality. A lot of capital out there. Next one. In the last year, what new belief behavior habit has most improved your life? Yeah, for me, not probably the most original, but airplane mode. Just shutting off the phone has done wonders for my sleep recently. Highly recommend. I do the same thing. 
Yeah, I do the same thing. I feel like I've spent so much time behind a screen where now like I, as part of my daily good habits, like one is just to not pick up your phone before 11 and put it down before 11 at night. I think that's good habit I'm adopting too. Next one, aside from having to say no all the time, what's the worst part about venture? Yeah. Worst part about venture. I would say I'm an operator. I love operating. The worst part is that occasional instance where you, you know, feel like you see the solve and you can't, you can't roll up your sleeves and just get it done yourself. You've got to coach through it. That's what I'd say. Yeah. Totally agree. Best piece of advice for junior VCs or those aspiring to break into venture. Ooh, I would say start a company <laughs> and then, and then leverage that to, to break into venture. I think that's honestly an easier path yeah i couldn't agree more i've learned so much just running confluence like i think experience is the ultimate teacher and it's the best way to a make a name for yourself and b just learn everything you need to last question we got here who's a mentor of yours that you'd want to give credit to yeah, I would call out one of my super early investors and board members, Lori Shane, who is like a, a Wall Street that kind of private equity backgrounds and not the typical venture investor at, at all, but amazing operator, super strategic, super detail oriented. And yet she gave me this piece of advice, despite being, you know, this like really tough kind of Wall Street like died in the wall person and um, around just enjoying the journey, frankly. So I, I call her out. Everyone's so focused on next quarter and people are quick to forget savoring the experience. And that's something I increasingly find myself trying to do as you approach the decade mark. Love it. Love it. Well, cool, man. That wraps up all the questions I had. You have any last minute questions for for me or anything I can help answer? No, this was fun, Clay. Um, glad we were able to set this up. Well, cool, man. I will let you get back to it. Nice. Nice. We'll do, Clay. I'll talk to you soon. Have a good one. Awesome. Thanks, man. You too. Huge thanks again to Michael for coming on this week. We hope that each of you are able to pick up something valuable from this talk. If you're looking to get in touch with Michael, we've linked his social info in the description below. And you can also find his contact info within the Confluence VC directory. For next steps, if each of you have not submitted your info to become a member yet, you can do that through our website at www.confluence.vc. And also, if you want to become a subscriber to the newsletter, we offer a ton of free resources in there each and every week meant to help you become better at your individual roles. You can subscribe there at www.confluence.substack.com. Hope that helps. Hope to hear from you all soon.